Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Where to Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where to Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with the people who know those places best. And today... We're off to Greece, Lucy. Yeah. Oh, at long last. At long last. I don't know how we've got past 50 plus episodes from the podcast <laughs> without going to Greece. I know. And very specifically, um, we're precisely going to Thessaloniki. Correct. Yes. So um, very excited about that. I guess first question, have you been to Greece? I have. I have been. I've been uh, twice, which is shameful actually it's not enough i've been to Rhodes. i went years ago to Rhodes with my best pal poppy friend of the pod yep. on a really tragic resort holiday where actually we just sort of it was it was just such a cliche of like girls in their early 20s so i don't really feel like i saw Rhodes at all and then i conversely went to athens with my parents i think the year beforehand actually for a week and that was wonderful and that was really cultural and I mean, it was 10 years ago, so I've, I'm I'm desperate to go back to Athens, I have to say. I'm sort of. Oh, oh yeah. Like, I, I've, I've, I've never been to Athens and I've never been to the mainland and I feel like I'm really missing out with that. Yeah, Athens is, is just a, a remarkable city. And actually, I, mean, I don't think we're going to be talking about it in today's episode because we're focusing on Thessaloniki and the islands, but future episode Athens James we have to do it we definitely have to do it we have to do it listeners let us know who who we should get on to talk yes, about Athens. please yeah that would be really helpful but you have traveled around quite a few of the islands I think I wouldn't really say traveled around it's more it's more that um just my wonderful family had a bit of a habit <laughs> of going to Greece every year or, or going to like well Greek Cyprus as well um uh when I was kind of in my teenage years so it was always the like big resorts yeah but always like kind of wonderful holidays remember lots of like food lots of um you know 
going fishing and lovely sunsets yeah lovely sunsets like i don't know to me greece is perfect for family holidays not just because it's it's kind of got a little bit of something for everyone yeah, you've got your totally. you've got your sun you've got your kind of like you know close to the water etc yeah, but then historic you've also, sites but then you've got your historic sites exactly yeah. you've got your your wildlife your kind of like more rugged areas and hiking and things like that but we went to loads and loads of islands i guess my favorite one being kind of i remember kefalonia really well and mm. that that's a great one it's famous for captain corelli's mandolin um but we went in the i want to say the early 2000s or so when tourism was pretty new to to there and it was it's very much yeah lesser resorts and and more kind of more of that hiking hillsidey i remember we did some really scenic drives through Lovely. there it was it's incredible i guess what we're kind of working towards Lister, is we, we have a real <laughs> expert on uh, you know based in Thessaloniki, but also expert on the greek islands so we're going to try and do a bit of a hybrid episode where we talk about Thessaloniki, talk about the greek islands and you know just give you that overall lovely flavor and intro mm. into the the world of greece greek life mediterranean loveliness yes yes <laughs> what of a better word uh so who is our guest, Lucy? Food and travel writer Amber Charmé moved from Manhattan to Thessaloniki 20 years ago and has since written extensively about Greece and the Greek islands for several publications, including us at DKI Witness. <laughs> she runs the blogs Provocolate and ThessalonikiLocal.com, where she writes about food, everyday life and destinations in Greece. So, without further ado, hello, Amber. Hi, nice to be here. Welcome, Amber. Lovely to have you on the podcast. And our first Greece episode, we're really, really excited. <laughs> so as usual, we're going to begin with learning a little bit more about our guest Amber, followed by the all important recommendations of where to go at insider knowledge on Thessaloniki and the Greek islands. Then we'll hear what Greece has been like recently, plus how you can travel more thoughtfully when visiting the country. So Amber, tell us, what was it that drew you to Thessaloniki specifically? Well, my husband's from here, but we lived in Germany. Uh-huh. I met him in Germany and we lived in my hometown, New York City, for 10 years. We had an a independent record label for hardcore punk and noise. And then cool. that was really nice, but we had so many friends in Thessaloniki and we always had such a good time when we, when we visited that it seemed like the perfect place to be for another chapter. Oh, wow. And so it's, as you, you've been there for 20, about 20 years now then? Yeah, yeah. And that obviously must feel like home. It does. I never expected to live anywhere so long, but it's a, it's a very nice lifestyle here. It's a, it's a really good place to do something creative. It's um, very central, you know, to, if you mm. like to travel, which we do. So yeah, very good life. And, and what do you love most about it? What what makes that life so good? A few things. Obviously, the the culture is interesting. It has a fascinating history, and that affects your everyday life. But actually, it is just day to day. There's such a sense of connection. Mm. I write a lot about food and think a lot about it. And part of what I love is not the quality of what we're eating, not mm. how it tastes, not how interesting it is, but really the sense of community that you have with food here. For instance, I have a weekly market. Actually, it's a couple times a week. There's one on one street and one in another, and everybody does, where there's whatever's exactly in season. I have a honey guy. It's a neighbor of a friend of mine, and the honey's different every year, and we talk about why. And he says, well, I mean, of course, the bees, the bees felt different this year. 
uh, <laughs> which I, I always think is really interesting. And you have these relationships. I have a cheese guy, a few wine guys, uh, and so on. Everyone makes their own things, and you get to know them over the years and over the seasons. Mm-hmm. And that sense of connection that comes through cuisine, I think, makes life in Greece very special. And in Thessaloniki, we have a lot of that. It's a city, but there's still this deep attachment to the land, to the seasons, to the culture. That's something I really enjoy. Lovely. Amber, it sounds like communities at the heart of where you are. You've got someone that you go to for your honey, for your cheese. Is that is that fair? Community is big in Thessaloniki. Yes, yes it is, especially through food. That's something I really enjoy. Uh, on that note, something else that I really appreciate is that where there's any luxury product you would like, Basic things are are very affordable for everyone. And to me, part of the health of the Mediterranean diet is not simply the food value of what you're eating, but the fact that the culture generally, people in all parts of society can participate in that. And that feels really nice, too. It's a, Everything is a, affordable, or every basic thing that people need is affordable, and that feels very nice. That's really important. Obviously, we're going to, I think we'll probably address this in our future section when we talk about traveling sustainably and our listeners traveling sustainably. But that, that feels like it's striking a chord with modern thinking, with the cost of living crisis and everything. So that's really wonderful to hear. Yes, yes. When all of your neighbors can, can also be eating well, that is true health for me. And that feels very yeah, nice. That's absolutely. something that the city offers. And, and you've written pretty extensively about Greece and the Greek islands as a whole. What other places in Greece kind of hold a special place in your heart? I, I've had a really long relationship with Crete. I've been going there maybe for 25 years. And I, it's a, a unique island. It's not just the largest island. It has a very distinctive culture. So I'm very attached to that. And also, much as I love my own city here, I like a very big city. Athens is a fantastic place. And I spend a lot of time there for work and for culture. And so, Amber, you write extensively about food. Do you have a place in Greece that you think has the best food? I'm sure that's a very difficult question for you to answer. <laughs> no, it, it, actually, it was surprisingly easy. Uh, I don't know if I'm very partial or just really lucky, but I think that two of the best places for food in Greece happen to be Thessaloniki and Crete. <laughs> But I'm not alone in that opinion. I think a lot of Greek people are very fond of Thessaloniki food and Cretan food especially. They have their own unique cuisine. Wonderful. Wonderful. And we'll find out a little bit more about that next. So to kick off this section of the podcast, we're going to ask you, Amber, to give us a quick fire tour of Thessaloniki. So we're going to name a few categories and you have to suggest something to do, ideally one thing. So here we go. First off, your favourite view. Uh, Mount Olympus is right across the bay. We're on the Thermary Coast Gulf and Mm -hmm. it's quite a sight on a clear day or sticking out through the fog. It's fantastic. I have to say I'm a huge, I love any kind of ancient Greek myth, fable, tragic play and it's one of my life goals to see Mount Olympus. So this would be your place. That will be my place. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Amber, when, no, I, when I'm coming over. Marvellous. <laughs> uh, does it live up to the hype as well, Amber? Is it worth seeing? Mount Olympus, yes, yeah. yes. You see the silhouette most days and on a clear day you can see the snow on the on the peaks. It's really, really glorious. Amazing. 
You can wow, you can understand easily how they picked it. Yes, yes. Excellent. So moving on with the quick fire round, uh, your favorite day activity. I would say it's such a compact city. It's really wonderful yeah. to take a lot of it in at a walk. Mm. If you start out at the water, you see Mount Olympus, and regrettably you turn your back on it, but you walk up this central <laughs> plaza. It's called Aristotle Square. And when you do that, right away you come to the other large street, Egnatia, for the Via Egnatia, of course. And then on your right, you have a, an Ottoman hammam from the 15th century. On your left, you have a church mm -hmm. from the year 800. And then you walk just a little bit more, and right in front of you is the Roman uh, Agora, the, the market, the Roman Agora. And then just a little bit up from there, you have the church of the city's patron saint, a Byzantine church called St. Demetrius. Oh, wow. So that might take 10 or 15 minutes if you're a little bit slow. So to be able to take in all of those civilizations, all of those empires at once is, is really, really nice. And it gets you oriented uh, visually and also culturally. Yeah. Kind of know where you are. Amazing. Yeah. We were talking, uh, sorry, I know this is a quick fire round, but we were talking before we started recording and you were saying, Amber, about how what, you used a really lovely phrase about sort of the axis of civilization. It was something oh, about... Well, actually, the, I, if I could say just a word then about the, the Roman Agora, the interesting yeah. thing about that is that it was only uncovered in the 1960s. They were getting ready to extend the plaza that I spoke of where we start our walk. And then they see all of this stuff, which is what happens in Greece. It's hard to, you know, build metros and so on, because there's always going to be something amazing that you discover. And what I found fascinating with that was they had already built this plaza, and they built the plaza because there was a big fire. So there was a reason to do all of this. So basically, without knowing where anything is, they ended up aligning the plaza perfectly with the ancient Roman market. And yeah. right above that is the, the Church of the Patron Saint. So it is, it's like an axis of power, of importance, of, you know, what matters to people. So it isn't just the centre now, it has always been the centre. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a really cool historic day activity. Perfect, Amber. I will do that when I come to see you in Thessaloniki. Absolutely. I hope that you will. It's <laughs> <laughs> an Amber next. How about something to drink? I think that it's an interesting place to try Red Cedar. I know it's not very popular abroad. Okay. A heavy resin, it's a white wine with a fairly strong taste of resin. And I don't mean like a fancy one because now they're in vogue and a lot of vintners are making mm -hmm. very fine retzinas. I mean the supermarket retzina. Okay. If you have it under the right circumstances, something, something can click. <laughs> well, what are the, those right circumstances? I'm intrigued. What, what, what would happen? That would be with a really lusty meal like um, the Greek version of fish and chips is a salt cod batter fried okay. very crisp there's a couple places at the harbor that serve it on pieces of paper you eat that mm. with a very hot fried pepper and a garlicky spread which is basically old bread water and well garlic and retsina mm. when you have all of those really powerful flavors cuts through them with a crispness and finally it starts to make sense it may not be something you take home with you, but it's nice to try once. That sounds wonderful. I mean, that, that pulls me on to the next thing, which is um, your favorite thing to eat. Well, that, that's a really good meal. But also another nice thing to have in Thessaloniki is a pie called bugatsa. Bugatsa is, uh, it was brought over by, we have a lot of refugees from Asia Minor, you know, mm. from, you know, the, mm. exactly a century ago. 
actually, we're having the centennial. So all of these Greek people come over from Asia Minor who are Greek but also have these different recipes, uh, different music, and so on, which enriched our culture greatly. One of the things that they brought over was a really good way of making pies. They make this flaky dough, and there's mm-hmm. a guy, it's called Bantis, this guy Philippos, he makes his own dough, and he throws, he tosses it in the air like a cloud, like uh, it makes, it puts a pizza guy to shame. It's amazing what he does. Wow. This pie is, is very flaky, and either it's going to be filled with sweet cream, or maybe minced meat, or maybe cheese, maybe spinach. His is so good that he makes some that is plain, and people only eat the dough. And wow. the reason really? that, yes, and it doesn't just tie into our cultural history because the refugees of Asia Minor play such a large role in Thessaloniki's identity, but also into our everyday lifestyle because Thessaloniki is famously a late night town. Also, uh, my own family, my, my husband has a concert venue, so we're out a lot late. And that's what you have before you go to bed, you know, three, four, five in the morning, the Bugatsa place is packed. The other place is open around five. That's when, you know, an after-hours place because it's also what you eat if you have like a, a a hard job outside. That's like a, you know, people who pave roads, they're building buildings. That's a traditional breakfast. So it ties the city together. It's a 24-hour city and this is at that, you know, at that magic this hour. This is the heart of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Love that. Oh, it's, I, I didn't say it's served hot and cut into little pieces. Lovely. It's really, really nice. It sounds absolutely delicious. I'll be trying that. Finally then, Amber, your favourite museum or gallery? There's a lot of museums here, but I'd have to say, especially for the visitor, but also for me, one of my favourites is the Macedonian Museum of Contemporary Art. They've renamed all the museums, so if you were looking for it on the internet, that would be the Momus Contemporary. Okay. Okay. That's right in the centre of town. The collection originated with the, uh, a donation from Alexander Iolas, who is an international art world figure, very interesting, compelling individual with quite a story of his own. It's been built up with many other generous donations, but what you have are some very significant international avant-garde works joined with significant Greek avant-garde and modern works. So it's a great place to see the Greek response to the avant-garde, but above all, Mm. having just taken in the 23 centuries and four civilizations, there's something very refreshing about the avant-garde. It's a little bit of a break. There's something timeless to just reflect on what you've seen and to see something modern in that the context that you've just experienced is also really marvelous. So I would recommend that. That's an excellent choice. Almost tops off your sort of walking tour that you started with as well. Yeah, perfect day. So well done on passing the quickfire round. That was brilliant. A great snapshot of Thessaloniki. Uh, And now we're going to broaden it out somewhat and uh, just ask what are some of the highlights in Thessaloniki that listeners just shouldn't miss? Uh, There's the rotunda. It's from the 4th century or really early on in the 4th century, I think. And it's two-thirds the size of the Pantheon in Rome. So not as large, but we're in Thessaloniki, so it's very impressive. There's yes. the only remaining minaret in the city. It's right outside. And it's hard to miss, but somehow, as interesting as it is, you'll often find it fairly empty. When you go in, you'll see some very nice mosaics. Mm-hmm. Because shortly after it was built, it was turned into a, a Christian church, and then after that into a mosque. And also the sense of acoustics is marvelous. It's quite a unique sense of space. You go into the center, 
just whisper something and uh, the place comes alive. It's, it's marvelous. Another place that I like very much, Thessaloniki has such a spectacular Byzantine history. We have 15 UNESCO monuments. 13 of them are churches. Of those, my favorite is, I think, probably the smallest and one of the oldest. It's from the 5th century. It's hidden in the tangle of alleys that is in the upper town. It's called Osios David, and it has a fantastic mosaic in it also, which is of the vision of Ezekiel. You really have not seen anything like it. There's also a legend, truth associated with it. A monk maybe saw a dream. It had been covered with plaster for years, and it was uncovered. So it has a miraculous element, but also cool. as a work of art, it's, it's miraculous in itself. And the view from the church is, is lovely. Fantastic. That does sound wonderful. Um, I just love all the culture. I just love all of this history. How absolutely amazing to have so many different snapshots of history and all of that art. It's just yes. remarkable. It's, it's a running theme on the podcast that we, we talk about a lot of like, especially European cities of like, kind of like, I don't know, history meeting the modern, etc. But yes. I, I think it's I think it's very, very rare that we've had so many different eras of yes. history all on display so, within, you know, already in the pod. So it yeah. sounds quite remarkable. It, it really is. And such a compact space. Yeah. yeah. And then Amber, how about then some sort of lesser known places some of Thessaloniki's secrets that you'd be willing to share with listeners well I would say things that people who live here and enjoy every day one is the central market which is right by that grand plaza and that's something I love is the sense of urban space here so you have this cosmopolitan plaza and then you just go through a little pathway or little alley and all of a sudden you're you know you might as well be in the 18th century because you're in the open market and it's madness (laughs) the fish guys are very vocal the meat displays are very graphic it's (laughs) it's it's boisterous and charming there's fish scales flying everywhere and then once you've looked around for a little while if you find where the olive guys are you'll find them Mm -hmm. sort of at the end at the place called Capani because it's okay. the Kapani market is the name of the market as a whole, but the actual Kapani was a little bit at the back. And there's a place where all of the olive vendors are. And right across from that, there's a little cafe that you, has a covered area. So sitting out there in the summer or the winter and having a thick, bitter Greek coffee and watching the chaos go around is really lovely. If you want to join the merchants, you could be having a Tsipro and Mese because they've all been up since dark. So... Nobody will look askance at you for starting your day off early like that either. But it's a great place to go for a coffee and get a sense of local life. Another thing that I love to do is during the hotter months, there's a couple of companies that run small boats that go back and forth to the beach suburbs. We're right on the water here, but there's actually, for my standards, very nice swimming across the way. Many Greek people would rather go to an island, but... You're right here. Mm. So you can find the schedules there by the docks along the water. And for about five euros, I think, you take a boat, takes maybe 45 minutes or an hour. You smell some suntan lotion, some salt. You have the whole Greek island mood. The flag is flapping in the breeze. You hear the seagulls. More than once, I've seen dolphins frolicking. Wow. Oh. Which is just magical. Then once you get there, you have a, a swim. And there's a lot of little places to have a ouzo and a fried calamari with your feet in the sand. Oh, Blue and white checkered wonderful. tablecloth, you know, the whole works. It's really charming. And then you take a boat back. 
not to spoil the magic of the podcast but we are recording this in january oh but i was there i was there on that boat watching the (laughs) hearing as you said i'm smelling the suntan lotion hearing the flags flapping oh we could not be further away from london right now it really wasn't you know you really all should come i'll make sure that you have a great time please i'd love to (laughs) that sounds quite remarkable really and so actually we did mention a bit like moving on past Thessaloniki we talked a little bit about Crete before and I want to know a little bit more about the Greek islands I think you do any podcast about Greece you have to talk about the islands and there's so many to choose from we've asked you to prepare top three to recommend uh do you want to take us through it I would uh I've got to go back to Crete because we didn't give it its fair share well it has an incredible topography Mm. uh mountains with snow you can ski there in the winter Mm. uh beaches that yeah a beach with pink sand there's that beach Davro where you know they did the Zorba dance with Anthony Quinn so there's famous Mm. beaches but there's also an incredible inland mountains cavers adore it especially in the east there's many famous ravines and gorges I think probably everyone's heard of the Samarian Gorge which is a Mm -hmm. fantastic uh, one day commitment that's also yeah. very magical because, you know, it's all downhill, but that doesn't mean it isn't a little rough. It's about 17 kilometers. You wake up in the dark, a bus takes you there, you make your hike down, and then there's the only way back is a, a boat that goes by towns that you can only reach by boat. Oh, wow. So that's a very complete experience. Yeah. Yeah. Crete has music like uh, every every region of Greece has its own own music, but Crete's is very special. They play Lyra in a way that goes like right into your bloodstream. It really hits you. It's impossible not to connect with it and to connect with a culture by going mm-hmm. to any sort of a festival or hearing some traditional Cretan music. Fantastic. And also their cuisine. It's There's uh, something rougher and more elemental about it. So anyone who enjoys Mediterranean food generally and all of the things about that will appreciate the wild gathered greens, uh, the the taste of the land the Mm. there's a lot of goats okay and i and i look for that also when i travel if something has a good goat ratio like more goats than people then i i'm in a good place if you're lucky is often one of those places uh so goat cheese is very popular and then there's this thing called staka which is like a concentrated top cream of goat's milk cooked together with flour just a little bit uh, to make a just this really rich thing that you eat incongruously with french fries oh so there's just it's just you know there's fat there's salt there's bitterness there's freshness there's things pulled from the sea it's just very uh and instead of uh bread usually people have a a rusk out of barley or or rye and olives of course and oil that smells richer than anywhere else and my best advice to the traveler would be if you're fond of figs, don't have one in Crete because it will ruin you forever. There's n- there's nothing like those figs. <laughs> it's, it's just it's, it's too heavenly. good. It's yeah. uh... it really it really is. It's just everything. It's it's like Greece amplified. Yeah, Oof. yeah. Oh, how amazing. Oh wow, I've been to quite a few of the islands, but never Crete, and always wanted to. We did get really oh. close to going last year, actually. So maybe oh. this year is the one. Um, I and I will. And you know, I like I like a bit of goat's cheese too. Mm-hmm. So I'm more than more than happy about that Mm -hmm. um what's your your number two island uh lesvos 
I went under, partially under the circumstances that I went, it really endeared me to the place. I belong to a blogging group called Travel Bloggers Greece. So people invite us to places to shine a little light on them. And in this case, the reason we were invited and the reason to shine a light was they had, it was the beginning of the refugee crisis, one of the first waves. And they were, they were dealing with so much and they were dealing with it so beautifully. You know, I didn't meet a single person who hadn't personally helped people from the sea and, and shared their, their home and their food. So, but because of this, people were worried about going. They read about the refugee crisis, they see it on the news, so their tourism was having a hard time. So this woman with some rooms invited us, and we just spent um, a week there, uh, driving around in a 4 by 4 meeting all of her friends. Uh, of course, you know, the municipalities showed us things too. But we became very, very attached to the island. Um, they have, I think... People know, of course, about Ritzina. We talked about it before. But also, Uzo is something synonymous with Greece. Yes. And a lot of it is from there. Like Thessaloniki, they also had a lot of refugees from Asia Minor. And Uzo bears a resemblance to Arak and Raki. Mm -hmm. So they bring these recipes with them. And it's a big Uzo island. They have, I think, over 15 distilleries. But it isn't the quality of the Uzo. It isn't the beautiful view. It isn't the shellfish you're having with it. The thing about Uzo and the way they drink it on Lesbos is that they have such a sense of style about it. There's, um, they have a very philosophical turn somehow as, as people. Mm-hmm. They're very ready to give themselves over to fate in a beautiful way, by which I mean embracing the moment. I have, that is a Mediterranean talent generally, but they're yeah. very good at it in Lesbos. And Uzo can be an, an expression of that just really mm. being there in the moment with friends, connecting with their community. Mm. And I, I liked that very much. So yeah. it's also very beautiful. I didn't even have time to say. It's a fantastic island. I mean, I mean, with some, some of these places in Greece, that goes without saying. Right? <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> it should go without saying, but also the, the people are, it, was, it has a, a magical quality. Yeah. yeah. Very, very lovely. I knew that Lesbos had been involved with the, uh, with the, migrant crisis that it'd been like a kind of stopping point i didn't realize how much the community had embraced refugees as well or, or had, had helped with that I, that's the side of it that i'd never heard about before now on to your third and final last but not least island my last but not least island is actually a surprise to me too okay because it's roads okay where i went last year <laughs> Yes, and I really expected to not like roads. Okay, it's the first one of the first places to for mass tourism in yes. Greece was in the beginning, still is now. You hear about it too much. I I had to go on a, a press trip, uh, so you know, yeah. I go with an open mind. But basically, I had to fly. I much prefer taking the ferry, which mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get to later. Yeah, and. From the sky, all I see is one enormous resort after another. And I just think, yeah, okay. I knew I wasn't going to like this place. <laughs> Pretty much as soon as I hit the ground, completely converted. First of all, when you get out of the plane, it's like 1980. There's, yes, this tourism, but in the most charming, nostalgic way. So yeah. that that I kind of liked, actually, you know. George Michael, tall cocktails with straws, that kind of thing. Like, it, there was an innocence about it, you know? A, it was nostalgic. There's a, there's, a, there's a time and clearly a place for that, isn't there? Exactly. You know, and they kind of still had that. So that I appreciated. But then apart from that, 
much like Thessaloniki, home to many civilizations. So yeah. the Palace of the Grand Master, it really is amazing. And then if you read about the Siege of Rhodes and you realize what was going on there, you're like, okay, that was amazing. Yeah. What happened? And then right outside of that, is uh, there's an old temple of Aphrodite, and that uh, that's where they found the statue, which is now in the archaeological museum, which is the inspiration for the title uh, "Reflections on a Marine Venus." I don't know if any anyone knows that book. It's a Lawrence Durrell book about mm-hmm. his year that he spent on Rhodes. Okay. Yes. And he, the statue had been pulled out of the water, and then it had been saved, or I don't know. At some point, he saw it under some circumstance that really touched him. So then, in that same book, so I'm like, okay, read the book, go see the statue. Then yep. I go and find where he lived, which was by the Muslim cemetery, which is right by by the mosque, which is by the water. And I go in there, and I say, how do you get in there? And the woman says, I don't know, but I keep seeing people going out through this little blue door. There's this little blue door and a row of houses, and it's locked, and then someone opens it up, and I go in. And it's exactly as he said. And then right outside of that, right across from the mosque, you have um, the National Theater of Rhodes, which was built by the Italians. So it's that kind of fascist, modernism, striking place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, you have all of those those Mm -hmm. layers, you know? You have the the ancient culture, you have the Ottomans, you you have the Italian fascists on the island, and then the whole George Michael thing. So, (laughs) (laughs) a bit of everything. And also, one of the best beaches I've ever been to in my life was Anthony Quinn Bay, another place I expected Mm. to not like for the obvious, you know, name recognition. I liked it so much, I literally threw away a plane ticket to hang out there for two more days. Oh, nice. Counting the colors of the minnows, it was just amazing. Sounds amazing. Amber, then, we've heard about the your big hitters. Are there any lesser-known islands that you want to shout about? I'd, I'd love to mention Kassos. The reason I went to Rhodes originally was to get the ferry to go to Kassos, which is several hours away. It's a very small island, maybe less than, than 10, 10 kilometres across. The town by the harbour has around 400 people. The main town, I don't think it has 500. It, it's... Wow windswept, a little bit barren, rocky, dramatic, with the most wonderful people. Because for one, they're very hospitable because they know that you're kind of at the very edge of Greece there. So Mm. they're very happy that you've made that journey. They, They love their traditional festivals. You'll feel like part of the island when you go there. And, uh, there was uh, one experience we had from our hosts who just arranges these tours. It, he brought us to his family place, some place they have a kind of up in the hills. Mm-hmm. And this this woman, uh, where I was kneeling on the floor on the ground. There was a little wooden table, and she was showing me how they make this beautiful macarones. It's one of their pastas. It's, you just make it out of a handful of, of flour and a little bit of water, and this little motion with her fingertip to make these graceful little little shapes and to me that summed up the elemental beauty of it that there's always enough for everybody you know there was this hospitality and this Mm. uh elemental connection to things Mm. and and tradition so that's a place i especially if you want something out of the way it can't possibly be crowded they have very few beds for for visitors Mm -hmm. so if you want to connect with culture and uh, have a relaxing time that would be a perfect choice 
That's a really fantastic good island. Very beautiful too. Oh wow! Um, well, I think we in that whole section we've covered so much there. Really got, <laughs> got quite a good sense of, of some of your expertise as well, Amber. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Uh, we're now going to talk a little bit more about what it's like in Greece at present and some bits and pieces for the future too. quickly adopt and, and take into your really take into your heart uh, I know that a lot of people go back to the same place every year because they develop longer term relationships with, with a destination so I think it's that it's the authenticity yeah it's a very real place yeah and also whilst we've been talking to you Amber it's occurred to me that historically hospitality is a huge thing instead of you know ancient Greek culture and it strikes me that today hospitality is huge and by that I mean that the people are very open they want to share their food as you were saying just beforehand it seems like actually welcoming people in is a big part of Greek culture and life that's absolutely true I think that it depends on the kind of travel you are and the kind of experience mm. that you're looking for is that people for whom that's not important will be in settings where that's not going to happen. They're going to be in a large all-inclusive resort or what have you. But the traveler who really wants to explore is by nature going to be in these places and people are going to know you've sought us out and we're glad that you did. Yeah. Mm. So I absolutely do think that Mm. it's a, Mm. it's a very hospitable country. Yeah, that actually leads me really nicely into my next question. We're asking our guests in this season of the podcast to share with us tips on how travellers can explore more responsibly. 
Do you, Amber, have any advice for listeners planning to travel to Greece? I do. The, the first one would be, it's so tempting to fit everything in and take a really cheap flight from one island to the other, but not great for the environment, and also you're really missing out. So use the ferries. You're going to be with big families traveling. Oh, grandmothers travel with their birds, which mm-hmm. just just kills me. I love that. Because, you know, people decamp from Athens for the whole summer to their island, and they have everything, including not only your dog, but your bird. So you're missing out if you're not taking a ferry. If I haven't been on a ferry, I haven't been on vacation. Yeah. Better for the environment and better for your connection with people. The other Mm. thing I would say is, especially in urban areas or really popular Mm. towns, like, for instance, Hanya in Crete, Mm Athens has really been impacted by this is pay attention to where you're staying if you're staying in a place that usually would be housing stock then you're impacting the community in a, in a detrimental way Airbnbs have taken over a yeah. lot of apartments in Athens and that means that there's just no housing for people who do interesting things that are not necessarily very well paid mm-hmm. you know artists writers actors students and so on. There's, uh, so the diversity of the communities is down, and people are having a, a very hard time. Housing has gone up a lot because of this. So support a local business that really is a business. Stay in a quirky little family hotel or something. But if you're staying in a place that usually would be an apartment, it, it's probably not the best thing for the community. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I think that's a a huge change in cities and countries across the world in, in of the past couple of years, particularly with tourism, uh, where you know it kind of adds a wild card to the economy. Mm. It, it really does. And also, I think in the initially that wasn't the intention. Yeah. The idea was that you would live there like someone else in the neighborhood, yeah. which is a beautiful idea. But unfortunately, mm. it hasn't turned into that. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so support local businesses, small quirky hotels. You know. Don't forget about your cheese guy. Your <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all your local exactly. food as well. I think that's a really, <laughs> really important thing there. And um, have the government or local authorities kind of put into any any particular like plans or incentives to put in place to promote sustainable tourism over the past few years? Many places. There's a lot of initiatives, especially on the islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Astipalia is only going to have electric transport, for example. Sustainable energy is a big deal. I've Mm -hmm. read that Paros is trying to eliminate one-use plastic completely. And already we have a lot less one-use plastic. Fantastic. So generally, yeah, there's a lot more awareness. It's a lot more a part of the conversation in Greece and I think among travellers. Good, good. And final question then, Amber, how about any events to mark in the calendar? I mean, you mentioned music's obviously a big, each sort of island has its own music. Can you recommend any events or festivals for listeners? Well, there's many, many festivals throughout the islands for contemporary culture or, or their usual traditional festivals. But if you want, there are too many to mention. But everyone celebrates the the 15th of of August, the Ascension of the Virgin. So on that day, on the Dorn Mission, the week before it or so, there's a lot of pilgrimages. A lot of the people go to a special church on the island of Tinos. But pretty much everyone who hasn't gone home yet to their island, that's when they're going to go home or to their village. So the 15th of August is the high point of summer, and there's festivals everywhere. Oh, wow. So if you want to hear traditional music, 
you'll always get to hear it if you're seeking it out, but that's a good time to come. If you want traditional culture, the yeah. 15th of August is a very special time to be here and a very crowded time. Yes. <laughs> but but very, very lovely. Good tip. Great tip. And that brings us to the end of our, I'm going to be cheesy now, Greek Odyssey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> had to be done. We got through a had whole episode done. Had without to be me done. mentioning that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that, that was really, really wonderful, Amber. I think like it's, it's it's almost impossible to to encapsulate the whole of Greece in a in a podcast in one in one single episode but we nearly got there I would say you've done it really well I think actually I think you really have encapsulated honestly that was a wonderful whistle stop tour so thank you so much Amber it was excellent thank you very much I had a, a wonderful time So a huge, huge thank you to Amber. Wasn't that great, Lucy? Oh, it was so great. Thank you so much, Amber. You really transported us to warm sands um, which and delicious food, which sounds exactly what we need in miserable January in the UK. Uh, it's really horrible that we talk about food so much in this podcast. It's, it's getting it's really, torturous. really hungry. I had a very miserable <laughs> tuna sandwich before the pod. And, uh, and yeah, it's uh, uh, just hearing about, uh, I don't know, when, when Amber started talking about their fish and chips kind of equivalent. Oof, uh, oh my. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but huge, huge thank you to Amber. If you want to follow um, some of Amber's adventures she's got multiple sort of blogs that she contributes to and and, and works on so there's provocolet.com and Thessaloniki local and uh, you can find out more about her writing and her work on ambercharmay.com and do we know where we're going next lucy we don't it's a surprise it's a total surprise <laughs> to us and to you listener. exactly so, um uh check at dk witness for all the latest info about where we're going on where to go and we will join you again in a fortnight and so it's bye from me and goodbye from me and we shall see you very soon where to go is a podcast from DK Witness. It was produced by Julia Baker, presented by Lucy Richards and James Atkinson with the help of Bella Talbot. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And please like and follow the show. And if you have time, leave a review. Your support means so much to us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.